By the time you hear this podcast with Greg and Ben, you'll be in search of a podcast with Greg and Ben. Hello, Miss Franklin. And who might you be? Uh, Time's um, up. Wait, Time's wait, wait, ma'am, up. ma'am. I'm Otis Williams. See, and well, I got this singing group. And you want my Melvin. Well, I guess that's what it comes down to. Now, you know Melvin's already recorded. Oh, oh yes, ma'am. Got both of his records. Mm-hmm. What's the name of this group of yours? Oh, Otis Williams and the Siberians. <sighs> Listen, Otis. Now, my Melvin has always been just a little too trusting with all these groups. Now, how I know you different? Ma'am? I'll tell you what. If you'll promise to look after him, do right by him, then I'll think about it. I promise to do my best, Miss Franklin. Everybody calls me Mama Rose. You might as well, too. Melvin, come on out from behind that tree and zip up that jacket. Yes, Mama. Y'all come on in here and get something to eat. Come on. Come on. All right, so that should give you a clue of what we'll be talking about on this episode. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, welcome to the By the Time You Hear This podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we're back with another episode on this uh, nice Friday evening. And uh, for those of you who were worried, uh, my air conditioner was finally replaced. All right. I feel like that deserves some applause right there. Um, so, yeah, we don't have to worry about that. And, and it's at the end of the summer. Um, so Good timing. Yeah. They got it on sale. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, back with another episode, and uh, we have a guest. Um, uh, you, you know what, Ben? I, I think you're, you're going to have to bring some of your some of your friends or former coworkers on the show because this is the third one from me. Um, I'll find so some we'll people. See. All right. Um, we used to work together. She was my manager at my at my old job, um, and and Eric worked there too. For those of you who listened to that episode. So we'd like to bring on the podcast, Tony. Hey, Tony, how's it going? Hey, guys. Glad to be here. I sound a little uh, digitized there. Um, could you say hello one more time, please? Make sure that we're recording you correctly. Hello. Okay, okay. that sounds Ooh. better. All right. Sound like T-Pain for a second there. <laughs> um. Well, uh, Tony, um, what I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to figure out what, what would you, what could you be willing to, to share with us about you personally at all? I'm not really a personal person. Well, that's um, one thing. <laughs> um, I, I love uh, pop culture and nostalgic movies especially docu-films does that work is that personal enough sure yeah <laughs> and, it, and it definitely works in in this case yeah. for, the, for this particular episode i'm uh, a little docu-film obsessed um so uh, um 
what what's your favorite docu film? Like, do you is it does it have to do uh, is it necessarily with music or th- is that your favorite kind of uh, topic or is it other topics ranging from you know uh, court cases or sports or or anything like that? I can talk about nearly anything because I think I'm a natural talker, um, but I'm mostly fascinated by docu-films. Like, it can be on any subject. I just like hearing people's backstory. Um, I'm a people watcher. I'm weird. I think we're all like yeah, people. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people are people watchers. We, Nothing odd about that. Yeah. Um, I definitely observe, and, and probably from working with you, you know that I I probably don't talk all that much. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm observing uh, everyone around me. Um, uh, so um, what we'll do here is let's get into some music news. Um, and Ben, what what what's on the docket first? <clears throat> well, a um, couple of things here. Um, both kind of the first two kind of dealing with death, not to kind of started out in in a macabre sort of way, but um, the official Prince tribute concert, um, of course, is being held in Minnesota. Where else is it going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be on the 13th of October. Um, of course, he passed away back on the 21st of April. Um, it's going to be at the Excel Energy Center in St. Paul. And um, we got some, some pretty heavy hitters there. Stevie Wonder, Christian Aguilera, Shaka Khan. John Mayer, um, just to name a few. My favorite, Mint Condition. I love them. Um, I don't know. I feel like, and I mean, of course, this is, I'm sure there's going to be more people announced. These have just been the people announced so far. Um, I love the addition of Stevie Wonder, Shaka Khan, even John Mayer, who I'm sure lists Prince as a huge influence on him. Um, Anita Baker, that one, did he work with her or something? That, that kind of seems, that one seems a little odd to me. Um uh. They may, I feel like they may have worked together, or they they knew the same people, maybe yeah. had the same producers. I don't think it's that far fetched. Okay, Tori Kelly. I mean, I know she probably didn't work with Prince, but I mean, she's a phenomenal singer. She's a new talent, and they probably want to keep the younger people somewhat interested in there. Uh, Mint Condition, of course, is from Minnesota as well. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like um, who's that the um, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Yeah. Didn't they have a band? Was it Flight Time? Flight Time, which is now, the, which is the time. Yeah, more. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if maybe more said the time make a surprise appearance. Um, I, I don't see how they're not going to be there. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't <laughs> listed there, but I mean, tickets go on sale Monday, um, the nineteenth. I mean, I'm not going to be going because I mean, I I have no way to get to Minnesota other than drive. But <laughs> if I could, I would go. But I thought it was pretty cool. I'm excited that it's happening. Um, not to be that person, but I kind of feel like it should have happened already. Uh, it's well, been you, six months almost. You, I guess it wasn't, they didn't want it to be rushed. Yeah. Kind of like mean, the BET Music it. Awards was. Yeah. yeah. You want it to be a proper tribute. Uh, so let's get the people who he worked with or who were, um, fans of his. Yeah. And. It was people he worked with, even if it wasn't like as, as star studded as it looked, I think it still would have been a great show. Uh, but yeah, it, it has to be it has to be done right. Yeah. So I'm 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 not mad that they took their time on it. We're probably gonna, and I imagine we're just gonna get a bunch of covers of his songs anyway. 
Yeah. So I mean, or, or just songs that that he wrote. He wrote a lot for other people. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm wondering, like you know. Stevie Wonder, what would he play? John Mayer, what would he play? Mint Condition, I don't know. I mean, I'm anxious to see it. I'm hoping that it's not one of those things where you have to be there to see it. Maybe they'll do a, a webcast of it or even just, you know, like record it and air it on something later. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, honestly, I'm, not, I'm surprised they're not doing one of those. Um, like they have them at AMC, those events where they'll like stream a concert. Oh, yeah. And you can go watch yeah. it live or something. I, I'm surprised they're not doing that, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um. So the next thing that happened on Tuesday, the on Tuesday the thirteenth, September thirteenth, um, is the anniversary of Tupac's death. Um, after being shot four times, died um, later of you know the gunshot wounds. It was very funny because uh, last week I actually saw and I didn't put two and two together. Somebody was asking like, how come we haven't found out who killed Tupac yet? How come we haven't found out who killed Biggie yet? And then just talking about all the you know the theories surrounding it and really someone on there like basically really tried to debunk with some pretty good information saying that there's no way it could have been Suge Knight um they had three theories and honestly if I find them I'll I'll come back on and talk about them because they're very interesting um the leading one being um like a gangbanger from um from from LA like I think he was like a blood or something or a crip I can't remember there was um there was one guy who was because it was the night that Mike Tyson fought Bruce Selden. Yeah. And there was a fight in the lobby of a hotel or a casino or something. And the guy that got beat up, um, I I can't recall his name, but there was a lot of things pointed to him being the shooter. Yeah. But then he was later killed. Yeah. Um, and then there was uh there may be some connection to what happened with Biggie. Yeah. And, but there was like an LAPD cover up mm-hmm. and on that end. So <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, we would uh, never find there, out. Honestly. Yeah, there's a lot of conspiracies there. Tony, what do you think about that? I just know that it was like a defining moment. Um, I guess in my adolescence and mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter who really did it. It's just, it kind of took somebody that was a major influencer at that time. It ha- yeah, and yeah. it had a major impact. Yeah, regardless of who did it, it happened. And it we did. lost a great talent, you know, because of it. And it was major. Yeah. And with uh, what, interesting, I think it came out also on Tuesday, a new trailer for the Tupac biopic, All Eyes on Me. Oh, I didn't know that was in the making. Uh, it's, yeah. it's all but done. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, um, I can't remember the actor's name that's playing him, but uh, he looks just like him. Um, <laughs> it has the guy who was who played Biggie in Notorious okay. reprising his role as Biggie. Um, so is this uh, like a sequel then? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> or it's running parallel. Yeah. Running parallel well, I will say too, to kind of piggyback off of that as well, um, I watched, uh, about a month ago, I finally got around to watching Straight Outta Compton because it's now on HBO and why pay for it if you get HBO. Um, after, And I don't know how accurate the portrayal of Suge Knight was in that movie, but... Was it I could, significant? Well, they had, I mean, did he have a significant role in the movie? He was... I still haven't well, like, seen he it. Wasn't in, he, wasn't, he didn't get a ton of screen time, but when he was in the movie, he was scary. And I was like, now I see... Why everybody thought that he did, you know, like so how he held, you know, um, vanilla ice, vanilla over, ice over the ledge. Yeah. And how they're like, oh, he has something to do with the death. Like, I mean, like, honestly, 
like Dr. Dre props, man, like to walk away from that and not be afraid that like not be looking over your shoulder. For all we know, he might have been looking over your shoulder the entire time. But like Suge didn't seem like the type of dude you would just walk away from. Um, you wouldn't just walk out of a record deal like he's the type of dude like he's not going to just let you go without a fight. So it wasn't like in the MC Hammer movie where Suge <laughs> Knight was just some dude on the side of the stage. No, he was like having he was having parties like they just there was this one party they had and kind of a spoiler alert. So if you haven't seen straight out of Compton, cover your ears. But like there's just some party where like Dre is like in one room trying to record like he's trying to get stuff done. I think he's got like Tupac, a young Tupac in there. And he's like, yeah, I got this track for you. And then he goes over to the next room. Suge's throwing this huge party. There's a bunch of people. This is at the studio, mind you. This is not at a house. This is at the studio. And they got some dude like stripped down to his underwear and they're just like beating the crap out of him. Like he's on the ground. I think they have a dog trained on him. Like it was it was pretty wild stuff. And I'm just like, all right. So I get it. Yeah, that's why they were afraid of him. He was crazy. <laughs> um, and so I haven't, um, yeah, I still haven't seen Straight Outta Compton. I don't, I don't know. I guess it's it's kind of like, I don't know when's the, like when do I want to sit down and watch it? Yeah. Um, I, I can only, I've only gone by as far as like what I know about, um, about that group or that era is watching VH1 behind the music. And I feel like that would suffice for me right now. It definitely brought up a lot of like, I've forgotten about a lot of songs like No Vaseline. I forgot about um, like some of, well, you know, I'll just say that. that. That's actually the track I've been bumping the most since I saw the movie. I was like, oh, I forgot about this. Cause I, I was growing up, I was a huge Ice Cube fan. Um, Ice Cube and West Side Connection, more so West Side Connection, but I liked Ice Cube. So like it reminded me a lot of that stuff. I have a question for you. Um, most recently, and uh, either of y'all can answer this. Jerry Heller, I know he's played by Paul Giamatti yeah. in the movie, uh, recently passed. Mm -hmm. So, what did you think of? Not turning to the straight out of Compton <clears throat> review, but <laughs> as far as his uh, his impact on um, music in general, as far as being. If, if he was NWA's manager or producer yeah. and he ended up, you know, kind of helping make Easy e what he became. Mm -hmm. Well, from the movie, um, they kind of portrayed him to be like a Branch Ricky type character at first, where it's like, I'm going to. Yeah, no, that's what they kind of made it seem like, you know, Easy e had released it on his own and Jerry wants to help him get it to the masses. And he's like, this has to be. Um, this music's important. People are going to love it. Um, and then the, the, the studio scene where they're just standing outside, like NWA is just standing outside the studio and the police come and harass them. And he comes out there and saves the day. And not necessarily like in the sense of like, he's the knight in white shining and in, in shining armor. Cause he still has issues too. Like the police get at, get at him too, saying like, why are you trying to help these thugs and who are they? And that's when he kind of almost as if he's speaking for the, and not to, you know, play the race card. Like he's speaking for the voice of white America. Like, he didn't know this was going on and you can't just harass people because of the way they look like he, I'm pretty certain like that's the line he uses in the movie. And it's just and it was just kind of interesting to see his growth as a character from like, you know, defending N.W.A., standing up for them to like, I don't want to necessarily say necessarily say that he screwed them over. But like being kind of like, you know, Easy e firing him and not wanting anything to do with them and. You know, no Vaseline, you know, making references to Jerry Heller screwing them out of money and just like 
I didn't see that coming because I didn't. I knew a little bit about an NWA, but not a ton. And so when that happened, I was like, "Oh damn, he did what? It's kind of messed up." So yeah. Right. Uh, Tony, have you seen the movie? I haven't seen the movie, but it's just kind of classic theme of you come in and you save us, and then you screw us over in some way. Yeah. Um, and I think that happens a lot and how it's portrayed in films and for some reason i keep thinking of like the last samurai with tom cruise he comes in and he saves you but in the end it's some twist (laughs) and and you're the savior um so i think and it's not that he meant to be that way because if you look at jerry he that he was really offended that he was portrayed that way in the movie because he didn't see himself in that light um and they say that was part of his heartbreak when he died. But oh. it's like that that white knight theory that you come in and you help us and you, you're the voice that, that and you're changed profoundly by your interactions with us. But in the end, it's still business. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we put a lot more personal in it than we do business. So we don't always understand that or are able to comprehend and compute that. Um but I guess that's just my take on it. Very well said. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, really appreciate that. Um, so, uh, okay. Um, so Adele, uh, when did Hello come out? Was it, was it like a year ago about? Uh, I would maybe say, if not the beginning it's... of this year, the end of last year. Yeah. Um, Okay, let me look that up real quick. Because I remember, um, and I'm just I'm I'm doing this off based off of the memory of when um, where I was working at the time. So yeah, it came out in October. Oh wow! So almost a year from a year ago, 22nd of October last year. And now she's ready to take some more time off. So uh, Ben, why don't you tell us about that? She wants to take off 10 years to raise her son, and I get it. You know, Adele has for the most part of her career, really done things on her, on her terms. And I respect her for that. Um, she just had a son three years ago. She took three years off initially when she had him, um, to, you know, to raise him. And that's when she came back with 25, um, which was, you know, huge. So it's almost kind of like, why would you worry about taking time off at this point? And I guess to where I was going with that is, um, she wants to take off 10 years and we were talking about, you know, is that going to hurt her career? She's 28 now. Um, when she takes, if she takes off 10 years, comes back, she's going to be 38. That's, you know, she's going to be pushing 40. And, um, I wonder if, well, like, you know, will the fervor for a new album be so great that, you know, they'll just, they'll listen to anything that she puts out or will it be, we've moved on. Who are you? Um, you're not relevant anymore. Not that her music needs to be relevant because she's pop, but she's not like, She's not in the moment pop. Um, to be honest, like her songs, Hello could have been released 10 years ago. It could have been released 20 years ago. So um, not to say that it's timeless, but I mean, like, you know, she could release another Hello in 10 years and it's, it could still sound as fresh because, you know, songs like that, I guess, never, they, they're, not, they're not in the moment songs. Nothing about, you know, there's no trap beat behind Hello. So it's not going to sound dated in 10 years. Like you could play that song in 10 years. No offense to Beyonce, but single ladies would sound is going to sound dated in like 10 to 15 years, maybe 20 years. It's going to sound never. 
because it's, it's gonna sound it's gonna sound Never. like the just like i mean just like anything on katie perry's records like a lot of pop music nowadays you're gonna be able to listen to it and be like yeah that came out around 2010 to or like 2012 2016 is when it came out you can hear the fast hi-hats it's you know it's it's got that beat to it versus most of what um someone like an adele does where it's just kind of like you know it doesn't play off of what's popular right now so if she continues to do what she's doing then maybe she'll be okay but my worry is that like people just might forget about her because we are very like even though her music's not in the now we're very in the now um society and there's just like 10 years is a long time to be gone off the music scene well okay 25 came out last year Mm mm-hmm 21 came out four years before. Yeah. Um, and we were trying to figure out before we started recording like other artists who took more, who took as much time off. Um, and if they had any kind of success with it, um, somewhere bit, well, I guess the, the best example we had was Maxwell. Yeah. Seven Maxwell. years off between albums. Um, I'm sure there there's somebody who's taking more, but because I mean I'm thinking like I'm trying to think. I know Christian Aguilera took some time off, but I mean she's not really like I don't even think she releases music anymore. Really, like she's just kind of riding the the game show circuit. The, I, I think the her voice. last album was maybe two or three years ago. It was uh, I think it was Lotus is what I'm seeing yeah. here, and that was in 2012. That's four years ago. But she's been on uh, she's been on the Voice ever well, since. That, and that, I mean. I think taking four years off is it's on it, it may sound like it's on the high side but I don't think that's so bad well I don't think but it's I bad think, either but she doesn't have anything in sight like it's not like oh Aguilera went to the studio uh, well I, if she's <laughs> making like millions just from being on the voice I think mm-hmm. they're all making millions oh yeah they're making from money. being on the voice so it's like hey what I I'll, I'll make music whenever I did not see that show <laughs> I did not see that show becoming what it was me either i didn't think and i mean not even to be mean to anybody because i'm not famous um i don't think anyone on there could really sing like the first season granted i've only seen the first season um the gentleman that won javier cologne um he was famous before like that i think that's kind of cheating like he he'd already been in the studio he was a singer he was signed he was just javier not javier cologne but he was javier so i don't think that's fair um and another girl who won um from was from megan dia like she was already famous. Like where are they they're getting these ringers to come on the show. So it's like, um, the only people that are winning are professional singers, and the ones that aren't professional singers really aren't that great. Like that's you know that's not surprising. Uh, so I think that happens with with last with last comic standing. Mm-hmm. That was kind of an issue to where these are people who already had some kind of. Um, some kind of fame mm-hmm. and I think also in that case it was like um, some guy who was a producer on the show but he was also an agent yeah. so he was getting his clients oh gosh <laughs> um, so yeah uh, NBC is and then with the Matt Lauer stuff I, there's there's something weird with NBC right now um, <laughs> anyway um so, uh, well, Adele's going to take a break probably because maybe she's she's scared of what Lady Gaga is going to come out with. She's oh, already God. come out with a single. <laughs> well, no. Yeah. And, okay, so, yeah. Oh, how long has it been since Lady Gaga released anything? Because I feel like I haven't... 
seen anything from her and sitting here's probably only been like two years honestly um but it feels like it's been so much longer uh well the last project she did was the the, the tony cheek bennett. to cheek okay tony bennett duet album and but her solo stuff art pop was 2013 so it's only been three years and like itching for some lady gaga and i should say good lady gaga because i wasn't a huge fan of art pop I know um, I, I did like the song Do What You Want because I will support almost anything that R. Kelly is on. Weirdo. <laughs> and the moment that I heard that song, I realized he was on there. As a matter of fact, I think that was around the time I met my girlfriend and I was obsessed with that song. When I realized it, I was like, oh, snap, R. Kelly's on the second verse. Oh, man. And his verse was so different from hers. <laughs> but um, I didn't really like that record. Um, and so now we get what I'm hoping is a good Lady Gaga record. Um, I heard Illusion, Perfect Illusion on the New Music uh, Friday playlist. Very odd cover. Is that her like jumping off of something, I think? Or she's on stage or on a stage or just on some platform. I, I don't even know, but <clears throat> I'm very I'm very excited about it. Um, from the second that I heard it, I was just like, this is a good song. Mark Ronson worked on it. Um, if you're not, if for those who might not be familiar, Mark Ronson um, also Funk. did Uptown Funk. Um, he did a few things songs of all time. Hey, he had a hit though, man. <laughs> he did. I mean, he did some stuff before that. Very funk oriented. I love this cover of just by, um, Radiohead. He like Motown funked it up. It was really good. Um, but I'm glad he's, he's finally getting some, like some play out there. He's getting some recognition. Um, yeah, I, I love the song. Have you heard it yet? Well, you I have. It. Okay. Yeah. I love it. Have you heard it, Tony? I haven't. You haven't. If, Not um, yet. I don't know if it's your cup of tea. I know Lady Gaga is it for everybody, but I highly suggest it. Um, it's the best song I've heard of her since um, I think the Fame Monster EP was the the when she released that again. The Fame Monster, I think it's the best the best stuff that she's released since then. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, we'll find out. I think it's going to debut. I think I saw a Billboard article that it's going to debut in the top twenty at least, maybe higher. Nice. Yeah, and that was the fame monster. The fame monster with um, Bad Romance, Telephone, of course, the only song I think I like with Beyonce on it, Alejandro. Um, Pap Paparazzi? Was that the same one? That was the album before. Ugh, they was, all sound um, like they go together. So. No, I, I admit, those first two albums were very similar in sound. The, well, the fame monster is, the way it was released was the fame with like six or seven new songs mm -hmm. um and red one was heavily involved in both those albums yeah which gives it an incredibly similar sound um i was hoping she'd go back to working with him but uh i mean i guess maybe she felt that she got all of it all out of that that she could maybe you have to, have to and expand and yeah evolve yeah hey then someone needs to tell um Katy perry and max martin that <laughs> someone needs to tell her that because he has done every album i think britney spears just stopped working with him um so someone needs to tell them that like and i agree like eventually you got to kind of get away and branch out you know you can only do the same thing for so long that was probably my favorite pairing though i loved everything they did together um well one one i want to bring up i don't know if i mentioned this before we started recording um do either of you watch empire no but i want to start <sighs> I watched a little bit of the first season. Eh. Okay. 
It looks. Um, I mean, it looks interesting. And I mean, like, I try to watch a lot of TV. I don't always have time. I'm trying to watch Supergirl right now. I'm trying to watch Atlanta. I saw I saw a promo for Empire while I was watching the Falcons game. Rise up. Um, and, yeah, we're not doing good. I, I know. I know. <laughs> good um, luck with that. <laughs> but I saw, I saw a promo for Empire. I mean, it looks interesting. I mean, you got two normally, you know, Hollywood movie actors on a TV show. That's always intrigued me when you have people who are of movie star caliber going to TV. That always intrigues me. Well, what I wanted to bring up with that is that the executive producer of the music in the show was Timbaland. Really? Yes. He and, was. He now, has actually left the show, though. Right. No. And he's being replaced by uh, Rodney Jerkins oh, okay. and Esther Dean. Yeah. Really? So uh, I'm wondering, can Rodney Jerkins avoid the impulse of putting the Dark Child tag on all, all the songs? <laughs> Esther Dean. All right. She there's a song that she wrote that I was I didn't know that she wrote because everyone. OK, was it Drop It Low? No, I cannot remember. Everyone always would talk about her like I knew who she was or I should know who she was. And then well, I heard she's a kind of like that. Um, a name that you you would see very often because of who she's worked with. I know, mm-hmm. like Beyonce, and I think Rihanna, and um, maybe even Katy Perry, um, and or Britney Spears. So you would she has worked with those artists, mm-hmm. but she's kind of like in the credit. She's like the second or third name. You look yeah. at the first, and it's it's Ronnie Jerkins, or it's Timbaland, or it's. Um, Max Martin or something. Yeah, I'm looking at her. Her, um, I was about to say her mentions, um, her credits right now because I know there's a song I saw by her, and I was blown away when I found out that she was on it. Like, and she was, I think she was like the second build person on there, and it really shocked me because I just, I didn't see it coming, and I can't see it. And if I, I guess if I see it, I'll mention it. But she's also worked with Christina Aguilera, um, Priyanka Chopra, who is an actress but well a singer too she, she came from the the bollywood mm-hmm. uh the bollywood scene maybe it was mr know-it-all uh um, like uh, kelly clarkson i think that might have been it she's worked with kelly clarkson Mick, Nicki minaj mary j blige uh usher um lil wayne she's uh she's done she's, yeah, she's done a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe it was come and get it by selena gomez i don't know um, but yeah, her uh, and uh, Roddy Jerkins will be taking over the production for um, for Empire for their original music. Um, so it's going to be well. I don't know if it's going to be interesting or not. I didn't finish the second season, so I don't know any storylines or really what kind of what the music sounded like. Is it on Netflix or anything like that, or where you um, watching? Hulu. Hulu. Okay. So, if anyone wants to check it out, um, I don't think I had any other news. Yeah, that's all I had too. Um, well, uh, back to Will Prince real quick. There, he made um, an LP as an alter ego named Camille. Hmm. Um, this came out in the uh, in the sometime in the eighties. He had an alter ego named Camille. Made an album. It was never released, but some people have copies of it um and this was from rolling stone as far as the uh it's that someone put their copy up for auction how much is it going for um 
Let's see. Um, uh, Forty-eight hundred dollars. Hmm. As of September fourteenth, that's what the auction price had reached. So a rare Prince album is out there, and if you got about five thousand dollars, you may be able to get your hands. A really rare Prince album too. <laughs> Jeez. Um. It's unclear how many copies exist, but uh, some of the songs that were on there were we reworked into um, If I Was Your Girlfriend and Housequake and a couple other songs here. But it was a a project that that he worked on, but um, unreleased. So uh, if you search Rebirth of the Flesh, that is a track that was on there. Okay. Uh, that's on, it's on YouTube, but who knows when it'll be taken down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, who's going to take them down now if he's not taking them down? Some people, and maybe there, there's somebody who's, who. Watching uh, the throne. <laughs> somebody <laughs> over his estate who has the same kind of mentality he has as far as like protecting his, his legacy. artistry yeah. and, and legacy, of course. Um, all right, so what we're going to get to, um, as is customary now that Ben uh, gives us his earworm of the week first. <laughs> so this one, um, an old earworm that just popped back in there, is by uh, the sister of Jessica Simpson, Ashley Simpson. From um, now, Ashley Simpson Ross. I don't. Oh, she Evan Ross, right? Yeah. <laughs> she went from Pete Wentz to heaven. All right, interesting. All right. Um, it's called What I've Become. It's from her album Out of Get Out of My Head, I believe it's called. Bittersweet World. Bittersweet World. Get Out of My Head was a track that she did. Bittersweet yeah. World, which actually was her highest reviewed album. But I think like the like the worst performing. Like it's critically acclaimed. Like critics were all about it. She worked with people like Kenna. She worked with Pharrell. Like she worked with some really, really good people on this record and put out like put out a pretty good record. But um, and it's the last one she's made. Yeah, but just like did not perform well. Um, yeah, so it's weird. But yeah, it's just it's like if you've heard Ashley Simpson before, it's not like anything she's really ever done before. So I w- I suggest checking out the record. But yeah, what I've become. All right, so what I've become by Ashley Simpson.
right? So that's What I've Become by Ashley Simpson from her album Bitter Sweet World 2008. Um, the only song I remember from that was the Get Out of My Head. Yeah. I wasn't fond of that track, but I liked a lot of that. I kind of liked it. Yeah. It's, it's I think quirky. I was into Kenna at the time. Yeah. Too, uh, so. I, I like Kenna. <laughs> um, I'm waiting for that follow up, though, Ashley. If you're out there, if you're listening, I'm waiting for that follow-up album. Um, I'm sure Kenna, you know, he's got some free time. <laughs> that is the hipsterist of music jokes. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so our topic this evening, we gave you a hint by playing a scene from uh, one of my favorite television miniseries, uh, even though after watching it recently... Does not it doesn't hold up? It, does, really. it doesn't hold up just because there's so much <laughs> stuff missing. There's so much missing now. I mean, I, when I watched it when it came out, I was like 14. It was like, oh, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, oh, the, there was so much missing. Um, so we'll get into it. We're talking about the Temptations miniseries. Uh, it originally aired in 1998. Do you believe so? Um, it aired on NBC. It was a two night event. Um, and uh, let me pull it up here um, yeah two, uh, two, 1998 it was released on home video in 2001 but it aired on NBC uh, produced by um, produced by Otis Williams and Shelley Berger and Jay Benson um, part of uh, Susan DePass's DePass Entertainment um and we know Susan in the past with her work with uh, being a Motown executive. Um, so uh, I guess we'll go around here. I'll start with you, Tony. When you first saw the film or miniseries broadcast, uh, what was your impression of it? I don't remember the very first time because I watch it anytime it comes on TV. Um, it's rather become- addictive. Um <laughs> And it's like you can feel their story. I guess I was thinking, you know, in, in about how it's so one-sided, though, the way that they told the story. But it's yeah. because it came from one part yeah. uh, of the group. And Otis was really the only one to tell the story. So everything is kind of from his point of view and how he th- saw how things happened. So I guess that would be my one eye-raising thing like hey guy you could have talked to somebody else got somebody else's opinion instead of just telling the otis williams version of the temptations so i guess that's my my overarching opinion about it that and the music and everybody's backstory was it was pretty awesome to see it on screen even though it was just from one perspective mm-hmm. yeah it was it was based on his book um I can't remember the name of the book, but it was based on his book <laughs> uh, that he and he produced it with Shelly Berger, who was their manager, um, played by Alan Rosenberg. Um, so, yeah, there was, uh, you know, if if I was paying attention to that kind of thing at age 14, um, I, I would believe that, too, that it was going to be a little um, skewed towards. The, uh, towards the primary character, and what what's yeah. interesting is that what, what I never thought about with with Otis Williams, um, 
it was his group, but he never sang lead. No. And uh, the name of the movie, the name of the book was just it was just Temptations. Okay. Yeah. Name of the book was he never sang lead. Well, I mean, he shouldn't have. I say they're always better singers than him. I mean, I get was he? I guess he he had the eye for talent. Like, yeah, oh, I guess I he was like to make this work. He was their Quincy Jones, but he could sing. He was their their <laughs> DJ Khaled. Um, yeah, I mean, like David Ruffin could sing, man. Like David Ruffin had a voice on him, um, hence why he was you know so arrogant. Um, and I, I think he was, I mean, granted this is from one is one sided, you know, so I, I would like to say that I thought that David Ruffin was cast perfectly, but it's oh, one sided, right but it was one sided. So, I mean, it's like, you know, was David, was he really that egotistical? Was he really that, was he really just that over the top? I mean, the scene where my favorite scene where he's sta- that you referenced in the opening where he's standing outside, you just a group in search of a David Ruffin. Like, did that really happen? Like, <laughs> like that I, just seems so. I, I, I think so. Some stuff was oh, okay. Dramatic license is going to get taken. Yeah. I'm not sure if he was fired with them. Like at Hitsville, they're standing, standing in, in the, the window, window stone faced. He walks up. He's going to walk in, and then Shelley just walks up to him and gives him a letter. And then he walks up to them. You can't do me like this. Like, no, I don't. That that is way too dramatic for it that to be how it really happened yeah um but as far as casting yeah, leon was the right guy made a good scene <laughs> um one thing that was, another thing that's interesting to me about it was okay um i watched some of the real temptations performances mm-hmm. otis was the tallest guy in the group in real life really in the movie David Ruffin seemed to tower over everyone. Melvin seemed pretty tall too. Melvin and, and was Melvin, tall. and Melvin yeah. was taller than Otis, but yeah. really, Otis was taller. But I mean, I I, I understand with, um, you know, you're not going to get the exact height or anything. Well, actually, I think the guy who played Melvin, DB Woodside, and who played Otis, Charles Malik Whitfield, should have they should have traded roles as far as, um build mm-hmm. and and skin tone yeah because otis was the darker one mm-hmm. and 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 the taller one but melvin was the darker and taller one in the movie um but even with that um with otis being the taller one in the group in real life but in the movie david just seemed to tower over everybody yeah. and his personality and ego and that mm-hmm. i think that created um that may have uh with the families that have sued or you know have filed or filed lawsuits or whatever i think the physicality of that may have played a, a part maybe subconsciously into yeah. it but it's just something that that kind of stood out to me that i see in the movie that david is that is is towering over everybody but in real life, it was more like Otis towered over mm-hmm. everybody because it was his group. Yeah. Um, excuse me for noticing something so <laughs> small about that. <laughs> um, this has been a podcast 18 years in the making, though, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, so, Tony, what uh, do you, was there any like scene? I mean, we can go back and forth between part one and two, it, it doesn't matter. Um, but we'll just cover, you know, uh, whatever with this, um, any scenes that stood out to you, um, 
whether it was something technical or with the acting or, you know, how the something you may have read before and how it played out on screen? I think that I really like the way that they kind of captured Paul and Eddie's relationship. Um, Cause I, I kind of felt it like they were connected. Um, and the other thing, just going back to David, David had the most issues. And after, you know, seeing it in the movie, I went and read later that, you know, David really had, had all these issues, but I don't like how they kind of exposed everybody else's issues. But again, it was the Otis Williams temptation. So he didn't really tell his issues. And even when he did portray his issues, it wasn't as honest and as, I guess, as raw or as naked as he kind of portrayed everybody else's like he had that strained relationship with his son, but it was kind of like secondary Mm -hmm. and we didn't really see the impact on his son other than that one basketball game. It was like, okay, you were absentee father, but that's it. Even with the, um, with the affair that he allegedly had Mm. with, yes, it was, it was like, it was like five seconds of, uh, and all it was was he he looked at her a certain way and 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 Josephine knew right away and that was it and then that that was and then but that was the the end of their relationship yeah right then but there was no other detail with that I mean I I don't yeah I'm not really cool with how how uh, scaled down that kind of situation was. I mean, if it's his story and, or maybe it's the expectation of like, when someone writes an autobiography, you're expecting a little more. Yeah. Or if the, if, uh, if something's being made based on your autobiography, um, I don't think, I don't think the, the, the writer would have that kind of, that kind of pull to like, you know, you know, just like, don't focus so much on that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, and, and then he might claim that he really didn't do anything. I've been watching cheaters a lot. So people will come up with any kind of excuse. She's just a friend. Oh God. Do you kiss your friends like this? No. Um, um, so, uh, that, that was as far as with Otis, as far as like his, his issues, um, that the affair was, uh, you know, about you saw it for five seconds and then you see it. There's a scene where he brought some presents and she's just trying, she's not trying to hear anything. Josephine's not trying to hear anything. And that was it. That was, you forget about it five minutes later that, uh, that he had an affair or maybe you forget that maybe what wait, was there an affair? Were they just flirting? You know, what, what was that? Um, yeah. And you just forget about it. Mm. Um, ben, was there any particular scene that that stuck out to you, or any portrayals? Well, other than, of course, you know the uh, "you can't fire me" scene, the David Ruffin scene. <laughs> um, I really liked, and this was later in the movie, the scene where they're recording Papua's Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, very intense. Um, I really like that scene, just a look in everyone's face, just the way the way they looked when they recorded it. I just I like the way that looked, um, and I guess I'm I'm really and and I guess also because I'm a performer and I love performing, I love the scene where, um, they're at the concert New Year's Eve, I believe it is, 
and um, they get David Ruffin up there and they do Shout. Okay. I think that's like yeah. the first time they performed together. That, that was the first time David Ruffin performed well, with, with them. With yeah. David. With David. Mm-hmm. I like that. I love the energy of that scene when you see him walk on stage. Like, I, I don't know. I, I really like that. And then conversely, um, when you see the scene where, like, you know, I think it's Dennis flips the mic down and David just takes the mic oh, yeah. <laughs> and he starts singing. <laughs> and they don't want to do it. Like, they keep dancing because they don't want to, like, they don't want to break character, so to speak. And go and fight him, and then as soon as as soon as it's over, they run off the stage and they fight him. Or not fight him, they go after him. Um, those two scenes, like just looking at those, like you know, like he's almost kind of doing the same thing. In those scenes, only in one scene he's welcome, in the other scene he's not welcome. He's completely unwelcome. Um, just yeah, you know, just the character of David Ruffin throughout that whole movie just fascinated me. Like the things he did um, with those two scenes, kind of standing out because like I'm seeing in my head. Him with his, you know, his collar unbuttoned, walking up on the stage, um, about to sing Shout, like, sing the Wait a Minute part. I'm just like, yeah. Like, he comes on, and that's when you really kind of hear that that classic, raspy, soulful David Reffin voice. And then, of course, you know, after they kick him out because he has drug problems, stealing the mic um, when he is not wanted. I thought that was very funny. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just drug problems. It's like they couldn't take the... Um, the his shenanigans yeah you know there's a scene where he he wants to call wants to change the name to david ruffin and the temptations (laughs) Um, it was so funny you say that did you ever read the article about um fallout boy they had a song called um um we now present to you david ruffin and the temptations (laughs) and they were going to get sued so they just changed it to our lawyers made us change the name of this song so we wouldn't get sued. <laughs> but it was called David Ruffin to the Dictate. It was I was like, man, that's that's pretty funny. But um yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. <laughs> David uh, Ruffin. Like David Ruffin, like for people who haven't seen this, Leon as David Ruffin will be uh, it's the standout performance to me. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh secondly, I would say Christian Payton as Paul Williams. Um I'm kind of sad that Christian Payton hasn't like gotten more out of this um, as far as as far as his performance as well. Um, now, one thing I think I've read at one point that uh, with with the Temptations, he um, uh, they kind of wanted Jimmy Ruffin, his older brother mm-hmm. in the band, like the way that it was that it was filmed that, OK, Paul and Al got into a fight backstage mm-hmm. on New Year's or the, at the New Year's party. And then that night, David becomes the leader <laughs> of the group. It didn't happen that fast. No, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's <clears throat> Hollywood, man. They had, you know, it's dramatic license. Um, so I, they pro- it was probably a fight that was the last straw. Mm-hmm. And at the, the New Year's party was the first time they performed together, but David was in the group at that point. It wasn't like they pulled him on stage. Uh, and that's and that's where they really made it look like. Like, yeah. it was just like some... And I love the spontaneity of that performance, where they're just like, oh, you want to come up here and throw down too? Let's go. Like, yeah. Um, and... Speak- yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Speaking of Al, um, if I was him or his family, I would want to sue just because... Of how whiny they made him look the entire movie. Yeah, he was a whiny quitter, <laughs> according to this movie. 
Like he wasn't he he wasn't uh, he wasn't as into it as the rest of mm-hmm. them. Like he had a real job. Yes, he was driving a milk truck, but <laughs> this was Detroit, and you know you you either do something um, like that, you're, you're either blue collar or you're trying to be in the entertainment industry. But mm-hmm. you can some people go from blue collar to working in the inter- entertainment industry. But since he they never made it seem like he was as into it as the rest of them. But I think, I think he was, um, I, 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 I think that's something that could have been explored more. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's the Pete best of the movie. Ooh. Interesting. <laughs> um, wasn't there when things got good. <laughs> yeah. He was he's there at the beginning, but, right but they didn't things, replace him with the Ringo star. Like the person they replaced him with, replaced yeah, him with but was we not. Still, know Ringo Starr's name. Yeah, just like we know David Ruffin's name. Yeah, he's better than a Ringo Starr, ladies and gentlemen. David Ruffin <laughs> is a much better singer I mean, than a Ringo Starr as a drummer. He wasn't trying to call it Ringo Starr in the Beatles or nothing like that. <laughs> but we know Ringo Starr's name, uh, even though I don't know any of his solo songs or anything like that. No, I just know he was the drummer, and and his real name is like Richard. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I I, just, I I agree with they made Al seem very whiny, um, to where he he didn't want to like he didn't want to dance either. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if there were. You got to give him something to look at. <laughs> I mean, well, actually, yeah. like if at the you look at the very first scene of the movie with um, I think it was what was the name of the the, the group that he saw at the very beginning. I can't remember, I but think I, it was the that, Cadillacs. That scene does stand out where he's like, "Why we got to dance? We got to give up something good to look at." But at the time, there were these vocal groups that were dancing. I mean, mm-hmm. it was kind of like, I mean, doo wop was still very popular, but at the very beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. Otis and Al go see the Cadillacs, yeah. and they're. It was this group is like very. They're very athletic. They're doing splits. They're doing all these crazy yeah. dance moves. So to you know yes you're singing but to also if they're this is before the music video so yeah. you gotta do you know <laughs> you can't just stand up there and snap your fingers yeah um but they made it seem like like dancing was just such a it's such everything was such a chore to mm-hmm. Al. um and then he didn't want to go out for an encore like how how long did they really oh, yeah. sing at that New Year's party to where he didn't want to go back out there? <laughs> I forgot and about do that. One, at least one yeah, more song. Come on now. I couldn't remember. What, I was like, I couldn't remember what the argument was about, and I was like, well, yeah, I, it was yeah. Al pouting. Yeah, you tell, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, he should. Yeah, that. I, yeah, that's that's pretty ridiculous. How whiny they did make him look. Um, another thing that kind of stood out to me, and um. I think honestly, maybe people should start going back to using this. When Barry Gordy has the panel of people, he's playing the song and he says, "If it came down to buying this record or a sandwich, which would you buy?" And like people, like, sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> I'm like, that's actually not a bad. Like, is this song so good that I would like go hungry to listen to it? That's a good way to think about it. Like, and that's I mean, as we know, the history of Barry Gordy and Motown and all the hits that came out of there. You know, doing part a lot of doing part to Smokey Robinson, the genius. Um, that's an interesting <laughs> way to look at. And Smokey Robinson, that dude can write. But um, that's a very interesting way of like polling people. 
Like, not just like, do you like this song? Yeah, it's cool. Would you, if you were hungry and your last dollar depended on you eating, would you buy this or a sandwich? Like, nah, bro, buy the sandwich. Like, if you bring it up, Smokey Robinson, um, I, I uh, like, it, like I said, there's a lot of stuff missing mm -hmm. with this. Even though there's a lot in there, there's a lot missing that could have been explored. It, this could have been done a little differently. So I'm not expecting another miniseries down the line, but maybe, maybe some, a movie. Down Who played Smokey Robinson again in the movie? Um, it was um, Eric Michael Tristan. Okay. As Smokey Robinson. <clears throat> now the thing that that um, and why I bring that up with like there's something missing. They kind of had more of an interplay between the the group and and Norman Whitfield as far as his. Um, basically, it made, they made it seem like he was David Ruffin as a songwriter. Yeah, <laughs> he had that kind of attitude, but not so much with Smokey Robinson, to where he wrote a lot of their early songs. Yeah. He wrote their first hit, and uh, they just had it to where, yeah, uh, yeah, Smokey wrote some songs for us, <laughs> and Same that much. was it. And, and they even had it like with Smokey being the superstar at the time, mm -hmm. like they didn't even bring. His group, I mean, they had, you know, scenes with the Supremes because they were with, um, they were the primettes with Eddie and Paul, but they couldn't mm -hmm. even bring the miracles into it, mm -hmm. really. Like, we saw Smoke, I think there are like three scenes, three significant scenes with Smokey Robinson, and yeah. one of them is, uh, you know, when they eat after the New Year's party, and he's like, oh yeah, I got Claudette waiting in the car. I didn't know who Claudette was, <laughs> but that is Claudette Robinson, his wife, who was oh. in the miracles with him. <laughs> well, so. I do wonder maybe if so they, maybe there were licenses. Well, no, he was in the end of the movie, though. Yeah. So like, maybe Robinson there's licensing the issues with the music, but I mean, they had all this other Motown music. So I, I don't know. Maybe he was like, I'll sing, but you can't use my I don't know. <laughs> I guess they didn't want to use... Um, too much they well I, maybe the rest of the group didn't sign off or something like that i didn't want to take but too much away i don't know but like the that... the relationship between how they started and with with smoky robinson taking on the task of being their writer and producer could have been explored more because there was more of their interaction with norman whitfield mm -hmm. even though it was just a couple of scenes yeah but that told more than than with Smokey Robinson. I feel like that could have been explored more. Yeah. Um. Uh. What else can we look into here? Um. Okay. Well, this was this is kind of unrelated, but Ben brought this up <laughs> uh, before he started recording. Um. Are you familiar with Bianca Lawson, Tony? I am. Um. Is she or is she not a vampire? <laughs> Well, um, she used to be a vampire slayer. I, you know I, what? I, no, that, that's I did not, what not I mean. know that. Someone mentioned that to me once, and I was like, "Really? I didn't know she was in Buffy, right?" Yeah, she was. Um, she was. Show, but with a horrible accent. What oh, no. I mean is, she is a real life vampire. I don't think she is. She's. 30. I think it's genetics. She's thirty-seven, but she looks like she's eighteen. She's still playing. She's still playing a teenager on Pretty Little Liars, right? I don't think anymore. I don't want to say oh, what happens to her. I don't think she's on there anymore. But she oh. was like about maybe like three or four years ago, maybe five years ago. She was playing a teenager, so she was like thirty-two. 
playing a teenager. Um, and Vampire. not once did I question, maybe she's in her 30s. Um, so until someone told me that she was in her 30s. You saw her in Pretty Little Liars recently. In the Temptations movie, she plays a young Diane Ross. She was not Diana yet. Yeah. She was Diane Ross. And she was 19 at the time. Mm. Well, her dad is Richard Lawson, and he doesn't really age either. He looks the same. All right, who's Richard? I'm not familiar with Richard Lawson. Uh, Richard Lawson, actor. he is an actor. Um, he married um Beyonce's mom, yeah. Miss Tina. What? He was in um. He's been in a couple of movies. He was in Poltergeist in shows. Yeah, he's in Poltergeist. He was in How Stella Got a Groove Back. I think he played Stella's ex-husband in that. Why have I never um, seen this guy before? He but, looks the same from then to now. Like he has a little bit of gray hair, but face is the same. So he's almost maybe 70. he's a vampire too. He's almost seventy, but he's looked like he's like forty three for like the last twenty years. <laughs> they are vampires. <laughs> maybe it's a lineage of vampires. He looked like he could have played Joe Jackson. A little bit. He looked like he could have yeah. played Joe Jackson. Yeah. Didn't he? No, it wasn't him. I don't remember who played Joe Jackson. It's something else he played. I'd love... That's my other favorite movie. Or miniseries. Um, we'll, we'll bring the American you back for Dream. that one. Oh, yeah, that's... That one, that we gotta one... gotta bring uh... you that back for that one. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, like you said, like, it, come, it seems to come on TV all the oh, time. Yeah. The Temptation seems to come on VH1 every... Once a month. Mm-hmm. At least once a month, maybe twice a month. I, it, it's like their Spider-Man is to Fox. They have to run it once a month to keep the license. <laughs> they have to. They just it's like, oh man, it's the thirtieth. Put it on. Just just bump something. Bump off basketball wives. Just put it on. Um. Oh, fun yeah. fact. Um, Richard Lawson was also previously married to Denise Gordy, so that was Bianca's, I guess, Motown connection. Oh. And that's how she got the role. And there we go. Um. Oh, and Boom. also, uh, the. I, I call him the the Tyler Perry All Star, Lamont Rucker, played Jimmy Ruffin. You know, it wasn't until after I saw a Tyler Perry movie and then I went back and watched The Temptations again. I said, "Hey, that's the Ruffin guy!" Like, it blew my mind. Yeah, and we also have uh, I, I can't remember his name on this show. Um, okay. Uh, who played President Wayne Palmer on 24. D.B. Oh, Woodside, would, um, uh, he played Melvin. Oh, oh, okay. For some reason, I was thinking of, um, but that's not his name. I was thinking of Pedro. Um, okay. Pedro Soriano from Major League. He was on, um, wasn't he on 24 also? Yeah, he played the other Palmer. Okay, president. okay, okay. <laughs> and then his bro, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So there will be some familiar faces for you. Um. For anyone who hasn't seen the film, um, but what did the the, um, the gentleman that played Otis? What did he go on to do? Did, did he do anything else? He's he's on a show now. I feel like it's on CBS where all the shows are number one. <laughs> um, he was on Supernatural, and as much as my girlfriend watched that show, you think I would have seen him? What's he done recently? Uh, I know he's on another show. He's going to be on American Horror Story, or he was on American Horror Story. Okay. And Empire, so. <laughs> um, speak, and there's a, well, 
kind of connect. It's a it's another Motown connection, but also a connection between this and Jackson and American Dream because Terrence Howard played Jackie and Jackson and American Dream. <laughs> I did not Jackie's realize that. <laughs> And I'm showing that um, Charles Malik Whitfield also won a coveted NAACP. No, he didn't. Not he did not win. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to misattribute him to such a coveted award. He was nominated, but he did not win. Um, it's a shame. I don't know who won that year. Um, but they, he he got robbed. You know. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Actually, let, let's look. Who won the award? Uh, but while we're actually, it was Lawrence Fishburne from Severus Boys. Okay. Okay. Uh, that was on. Uh, it's not on HBO. I don't know, but I, I know it's HBO about movie. the um about the, the ski experiment. Yeah, yeah, I've been meaning to watch that mm-hmm. because I love. That's my other passion, other than music, is um not to go deep into it, conspiracies, and um that's one of the biggest ones because you like a lot. You know, sometimes like, oh, what is the government doing? Well, like that's something that like you would. If you said it, you'd be crazy. You'd sound crazy. And then you found out they did it. And it's like, oh, okay. So the government can't do some messed up things. Yeah. But that's all I'm going to say about that, as Forrest okay. would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, Tony, since you've seen both miniseries, we're, we're gonna, we're, we may preview Jackson American Dream a little bit. Oh, I can't here. wait for that one. <laughs> um, who was better as Barry Gordy? Ova Babatunde in The Temptations? Or Billy D. Williams in Jackson American Dream. Billy D. Williams wasn't it? They gave us two different Barry Gordys. I prefer Temptations. Okay. Uh, because yeah. I think that Billy D. Williams was bubblegum. He was a little too bubblegum for me. Okay. Okay, I had to look for a second because I, I was getting them mixed up in my head. Now, now I remember, and I have to agree, Tony. You're right. Yeah, I think with with Barry Gordy in this miniseries, it, it's another. That's another relationship that could have been explored more mm-hmm. because, uh, as far as with like when they changed their sound or they did, um, as Shelley Berger called it, white bread Middle America stuff or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that relationship could have been explored more because it was it was Barry Gordy's idea to bring in this manager. Mm-hmm. He agreed with the idea of when they did uh, like a covers album that would appeal to middle America. Mm-hmm. And, and then he moved the company to L.A. And I think it seemed like a lot of um, the move to L.A. for Motown yeah. was kind of like that kind of hurt a lot of their artists. Like we may hear so many Motown songs in on in movies and on TV, mm-hmm. but at the time that those songs were coming out, they were basically we look at Motown as being based out of Detroit. Mm-hmm. But then they moved to LA, and all these artists start falling off, um, you know, and they start changing labels too. Yeah. And then with them changing labels, the expectations changed because of the family dynamic they had at Motown and then it's this more corporate um, not so much interaction with higher ups kind mm-hmm. of thing um, with other companies I mean they, they kind of explored that briefly in The Temptations where they went to Atlantic and they left after one album or something like that or some company um, 
And in Jackson's American Dream, it was that same issue. But I think that happened with a lot of Motown artists when they moved to L.A., which didn't... Um, because Barry Gordy wanted to make movies, and I think that turned into like The Wiz and The Last Dragon. That was the only two well, I did like I that one. That I did like The Last Dragon. With. Yeah. Um, and um, I was looking at, uh, I was on Spotify looking at the Temptations um, catalog. Uh, they came out with an album out of, I think they came out with one in 1980, 81, 82. 83, 84. I think there were two of them in 83. Um, and then 85, 86. They took 1988 off and they came out with 1989. <laughs> I did not know about any of these albums. Yeah, no. I, yeah, they had a lot. Um, I think really the only thing I knew from like the 80s was um, the one that had um, Treat Her Like a Lady. And after that, I thought they just that didn't was, do anything that was else. The la- that's, the, that's the most recent song that was a hit for them. That yeah. was 1984. Um, and and then there were some albums after that, which, like, again, a lot of stuff was missing. Um, the relationship with them, like, we saw a lot with David Ruffin, mm-hmm. but not a lot with Dennis Edwards. Like, he was m- more forgotten character. Like, I think yeah. Richard Street, who was singing in the background for Paul <laughs> when Paul was drunk, got more, had, had a more of a significant storyline than Dennis yeah. Edwards. Um, but Tony, what, what do you, what do you think about that? As far as like the Dennis Edwards, like role in the, in the miniseries? I think that he was really disposable the way he was written in. It's just, we use you for these moments and then we don't need you anymore. Like they made a quite a few things, people disposable and honestly, this kind of like Otis's take on Temptations. He was more about the group and the image, and that's why he probably interchanged so many people throughout the group in its whole lifetime, mm-hmm. as well as continuing those albums and touring and everything else. Like, all the originals were pretty much dead, and he was still touring with New Temptations. How? Like, it's kind of oddball and kind of unheard of in our generation. Like even even today, he is. There's some temptations. Really, he he's still in the group, mm. and he is 74 years old, still touring with them, still milking that cow. <laughs> um, it won't die. Well, that's that's crazy. Um, well, I I don't know because I mean, like the only other thing I can think of where I've seen that happen. And I mean, it's gonna be obscure for some people because I'm going off the pop, off of the pop trail here. But Megadeth with Jay, with um, Dave Mustaine, mm-hmm. he does that too. Um, he's he kind of interchanges, still releasing records and stuff. But like he just inter- just you know, plug you in, new drummer, yeah, okay, right. new guitar player, all right, new bass, yeah. He just kind of plugs people in. I'm trying to think of anyone else in the pop music spectrum that really just does that though. I mean, Third Eye Blind has kind of done that. Um, I honestly think it's made them a better live band because of it, because <laughs> they they weren't that good live. But that's an, I didn't know he was still touring with well, the Temptations. As far as like um, a group, probably a better, well, maybe not a better example, but just another example, like like Megadeth that interchanges group members all the time. But it's probably not in one guy's control mm-hmm. as far as someone in the group. Yeah, is Menudo. <laughs> <laughs> 
She's nothing but different people. Yeah, because like they get older, they just replace them. I think the rule is once you get uh, a mustache, it's time to go. Yeah. Oh god, that's the group Ricky Martin started out in, right? Yeah. Okay, that's what I remember. That. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are they st- are they still doing stuff, Muno? I guess I don't know who's in the group now, but they're oh, probably god. all under the age of seventeen. Oh goodness. Um. Oh, they they were last active in two thousand nine. That's a long time. <laughs> I. But they were st- they were active over the course of nineteen seventy seven to nineteen ninety seven, with. God knows how that that memory is going to be long. <laughs> and they seem to come out with an album every six months, according to this discography. That people just churning <laughs> out songs. Wowzers. Um. So that's an extreme example yeah. compared to the Temptations. <laughs> that's pretty extreme. Um, uh, I was trying to think of, when like, you think of... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. When you think of R&B groups, like the only other like more recent group to do it was Destiny's Child. And um, I don't think they've ever lived that down. I don't think they the ever will. The changing of group members. Um, especially because of the way they did it. And the fact that the manager of the band is the person, is Beyonce's father, and you know that's why they're doing it. It's like, you know, don't say nothing about Beyonce. You might get shipped off and not even told. Um, one of the, one of the you know, many reasons I dislike her. Um, respect her as a talent, but just, I don't know, man. I'm not going to get into that. That's that's a whole that's other a few podcast. Extra, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a little deep right then. We had a deep moment right there. Oh, yeah. It goes kind of deep. Um, but we, I think with... Um, man, there, like, if we made a list of all the things that were missing from the miniseries that seemed significant enough to mm-hmm. that should be a part of it, and then what was in the miniseries... Like minimize that. Yeah, you could make a whole another miniseries about this, um, uh, about the group. Um, well, it's kind of like Tony was saying. Like this is it was through his eyes, through his prism. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know a ton about Otis, but maybe he was just maybe he was almost as egotistical as David Ruffin. Only you know, I I I feel that because um, it seemed like all the decisions all the major decisions um, were made by him mm-hmm. as far as, okay, yeah, we'll go along with this, uh, with changing our sound to appeal to a mass audience. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah, we're just going to, uh, uh, after the fight with, after the, the fight with Al, he made the decision to fire Al. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It was, I think it was his decision that like, okay, yeah, there may, there may have been a vote, but he kind of like, maybe he, it seemed like he kind of intimidated Mel a little yeah. bit to like, I think Mel wanted to keep David. <laughs> Paul was like, man, whatever. Yeah. And Eddie wanted to keep David. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he kind of intimidated Mel into casting that that last vote maybe it may have been more dramatic license right there yeah but i wouldn't be surprised if 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 the vote if there was a vote that went down like that yeah um i think he it was his decision to get to get richard to seem background for paul it was his decision to um 
uh, to fire Eddie or to like keep Paul away. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think I think he was making he was making these calls, trying to he's doing it for the betterment of the group, but um, and to it even, was more it was yeah. it was more of like he was concerned about the image of the group rather yeah. than the people themselves. And to add, um, I didn't realize until I started doing research for this episode, I didn't realize this was based on a book that he had written. Yeah. So then going back and looking at it, I was like, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. That make like everything. It really was kind of like, you know, a journey through, uh, you know, a journey through the, tem- the history of the temptations as told by Otis Williams. Like that's what it felt like. And so now I, I see why is because they just wrote it. it. It was his autobiography and they didn't go to anyone else. They didn't go to anyone else. It was like, all right, well, we've got his book. Well, at the Whoops. time when the book came out, Eddie's dead. Oh, yeah. Paul's dead. David's dead. <laughs> Mel's dead. No one else is there to tell their story but him. You know, so. He, he timed it that way. <laughs> <laughs> He'd been working on that book forever. He was like, I'm just going to wait till they're all gone and then we'll publish it. <laughs> Pumping himself uh, full of drugs to keep himself alive. Like I gotta, I gotta outlast. <laughs> um. So, uh, uh, I well, another thing that could have been explored more is uh, in the. Okay, with with Melvin. Okay, he had um. He had like rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. or something like that. And so he was taking, basically was taking like steroids to continue performing or some kind of pain or a bunch of painkillers, really. Mm-hmm. Um, they portrayed his death as if he died in the kitchen. Yeah. In a wheelchair. <laughs> that was so sad. Um, and then he just walks in and says, oh, blue. Like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, I guess I wanted him to go out a little bit differently than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the way that I think the way that they portrayed Paul Williams death was probably as I want to say it was fair, but if, if people think like there was a little bit more that went into it because, okay, it was ruled as suicide, but it may have looked as if he um, he may have been it may have been like a carjacking or a robbery gone wrong and mm-hmm. he was shot um, but people want to I think maybe for narrative sake is to make it look like a suicide he was an alcoholic he was heartbroken for Otis keeping him out of the group you know he wasn't physically well enough to, to perform you know um I think that was just another dramatic license thing. Or, or what, what do you guys think about that? I don't think that that scene was really fair to like his his kids and his family who yeah. has to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have taken a dramatic license. We've seen plenty of movies where they cut the scene before anything happens, but to be that dramatic with it and kind of paint him in that scene in that moment, I I don't think that was fair. Especially if you weren't there. You're going off of here today as it is. Yeah. I agree. Be more creative. <laughs> I, I um I agree with that. Um 
with um well what did you think of um I kind of want to bring this up if I can uh, get one of my friends on the show. She's a, a talent manager. I guess, like, how does I kind of want to get the dynamic of that because Johnny May Matthews, um, <laughs> uh, as their first manager, <laughs> that was that was interesting to me. I wish there was more that could have been explored there, too, um, because she, she basically robbed them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then was mad at them for calling her out. Right. Y'all get out of here. It's my stuff. It's my name. Really, lady? Um so what did you guys think about that about that dynamic as about about uh how they basically got into the music business? I'm trying to remember. Um Tony my I I'm I cannot remember that. That's like that part's kinda hazy for me. Because I remember like so they I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. I think it's like the hard luck story that most people who are so excited to get signed for the very first time do. It's like, oh, we're for, this is going to be a big break. We're going to go along with her. And she set them up at that radio station. And Well, they recorded in like some apartment. Mm-hmm. And she set them, got them on radio for the first time and all of these great things. But when they started to take off and were asking for what was due to them as far as money, it's like, no, 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 you don't collect these profits. These are my profits. And kind of bamboozled them. But I think what's sad is even now that that happens, people are so ready to get that first opportunity that they sign contracts and they get into these deals. And it, it's kind of like history repeating itself, even though we know mm-hmm. what what's happened before. But the cycle still goes on. Yeah. Now it's in the form of 360 deals. Yeah, well, there it is. I mean, we that's another podcast right there. We did that to ourselves, but that's that's another whole podcast right there. Um and yeah, I thought I thought um the scenes with Johnny May were were pretty uh I I I liked those scenes. I really enjoyed them. Uh because she saw them performing on the street. Um and then she sends out an APB over a radio station that they just happened to be listening to at the time. <laughs> and um, and then they record in a basement. You hear a toilet flush. I, I wonder if that if someone still has that take <laughs> with the take of their first take of doing the song. And then you hear the toilet flush. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that was. Um, uh yeah, I just re- I just really like those scenes, um, and I like that even though like nobody really looked close to the real person, <laughs> uh, like with anybody really. Um, I think they okay with Leon. Okay, let's find a tall, skinny guy, <laughs> give him a pair of glasses. <laughs> I mean, he's he he played the role well, but you know, it, it, this wasn't for looks, Mm-mm. you know. Um, but I think everybody captured the essence of the characters and, um, I think they actually did their own singing. Really? So maybe that may have played a part into why D.B. Woodside played Mel instead of Otis, even though he probably looks more like Otis. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, I can, it's not, I don't think it's in the Wikipedia article, but I, I think I remember reading that they were. Um, that they did their own singing. 
That's pretty cool. Um, as far as the uh, um, I I, I kind of want to get into this a little more because he's the standout character of the miniseries is David Ruffin. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think like what percentage of what you saw on screen do you think like is really true? Like that's how he really was. What percentage would you give? Uh, I, maybe fifty percent. I, I I just can't believe he's he was that over the top. But it was fun to watch. I want to say seventy-five. Ooh. Okay. All right. Um, I'm I'm probably closer to seventy-five percent. Um, I did read about like the, uh, the, I guess maybe violent relationship or, um tumultuous relationship he had with Tammy Terrell. Okay. Um I'm waiting on a Tammy Terrell movie. I, I'm yes. I, I, I I want that to happen. I think it should happen very soon. But yeah. I think her, her story in itself is um is interesting. Um but also the uh I wanted to find out more about uh this Flynn guy. Flynn. Flynn? Like who was his 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 guy his flunky I had think the, the flourish of gray hair <laughs> uh, hold on let me go back in I think he was more of a representation of the people who are around him than being an actual person or was he really an actual person um I don't know they uh I, I don't I don't I don't know I don't know I, I don't I don't know much about, um, I mean, it may have been a combination of people, yeah. but I think with a guy like David, it would be more than one guy though. Maybe they, maybe they couldn't afford to like cast a bunch of people to be David's entourage. Yeah. But, um, that would make more sense. I would want to know, I would want to like, how did like Flynn came out of nowhere? He showed up at the picnic and there he is. I remember now, I remember (laughs) you talking about um and he said he was David's manager but he's also his driver <laughs> like come on man are you are you up here or are you down here um uh so yeah there I would want to know more about um about Flynn and also like in the I think in the late 60s through the 70s there were a couple if not like several supremes Temptations like collaboration albums. Um, I didn't know that, and that that would have created some. I think that would have created more of the storyline there of like, how did that come to be to where these two super groups are going to do more than one album together? Yeah, like today that would be like, if One Direction and Fifth Harmony. Yeah, I was gonna say album together. Are there any groups? <laughs> like, there's there's one out, at least one out there. But it's like if they did an album together, um, I think that would be successful. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, it was successful like in the '70s with those two groups. But that wasn't the making of the music. I think was glossed over a lot. I mean, like yeah. okay, we see how how uh, Papa was a Rolling Stone yeah. was written. Because I think that was really the only real recording session other than the first one. I can't think of... I mean, there was a lot of performance in in there as well. I'm trying to think, like, in the middle, like, 
like what what else was there as far as them um well, in the studio well when they did um my girl okay there was a story of like how my girl was written yeah and there was like uh how Smokey wrote the first few of their songs but they kind of made like made like a montage mm-hmm. um the only significant one was um was Papa was a Rolling Stone in part two uh and then they had the only like solo song from anybody who left the group was Keep On Truckin' by Eddie Kendricks. Um, maybe they couldn't use David Ruffin's music or, or something like that, or maybe mm-hmm. they didn't have a place for it. But I feel like his solo career and Eddie's solo career were kind of the same. Yeah. How they started off, they had a few hits at the beginning, and mm-hmm. then they kind of fell off and they ended up working together. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff missing, but it's still enjoyable for what it, for what it was, I think because it was, um, it was kind of a, a new, well, not necessarily a new idea, but Hey, let's explore another Motown group because this came six years after Jackson's an American dream. Um, and so in NBC, I think they started making a lot of, this is a time where NBC, I think was making a lot of miniseries, And, and the reason why I think like Leon's performance goes like unnoticed a little bit, mm-hmm. I think NBC noticed because they started using him more. Like yeah, they he, really? there's a little Richard TV movie on NBC with Leon. <laughs> really? There is, um, there's another TV movie about Alan Freed, uh, where Leon plays Jackie Wilson. I'm pulling this picture back up to see what else I've seen him in. I didn't remember that though. Um, the... Leon is like a great docu films actor, yeah, and he's he... also like the quintessential group member actor. Yeah, and the Five Heartbeats, of course, which is based on several vocal groups of the '60s and '70s. I swear, um, all I where see where the Starlight came from. When I look at him, all I see is David Ruffin. Like I'm looking at pictures, like all I see is David Ruffin. <laughs> David Ruffin is, is the peak of him playing all these characters, but he he just looks like he's he's currently in a singing group from the '60s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he just had he has that uh, yeah he has that look. Um, so uh, I guess as we in this part of the podcast. Um, what is your, um, well, I've already said with my impression, but I think there's a lot missing, but it's still entertaining. Mm-hmm. But what is your lasting impression of this miniseries? Tony? It's a classic and I'm going to continue to watch it every time it comes on VH1 <laughs> and recite all of the scenes that I know. <laughs> and I know them all. Well, my lasting impression now, and I, I'm going to go back and watch it again. Like I said, after doing all this research on it and finding out that it was coming from the perspective of one person, I want to go watch it again and like kind of look for all of these things that we've talked about because I was looking at I was looking at it through those glasses, and now I am, and I really want to look like wow, oh okay, okay. Um, but still, my, I mean, still my lasting impression is still is still David Ruffin because I didn't listen to a lot of Temptations before I saw this movie. 
And my lasting impression would be the res- the newfound, re- well, not newfound because I've already found it, but the respect I found in watching that movie in David Ruffin's voice. Um, and even reading about how, like, I think I read something like Marvin Gaye at one point said, like, um, he saw things in David Ruffin's voice that his voice lacked. And that's coming from, you know, arguably one of the greatest soul singers of, of all time, um, stating how much he respected and loved David Ruffin's voice. And that was that was my biggest impression from that. He was an egotistical maniac in the movie, but like he had the talent to back it up, I guess you could say, if he really was that arrogant. You guys say he was 75% there. So if he was 75% that arrogant, he had the talent to back it up. Yeah, I think um, along with saying that there was a lot, there was a lot missing. I think what's a little, um, well, it's saddening to me that yeah, it was only from really from one guy's perspective, but the other, there are four other guys that will never know. Yeah, they're part of the story. Um, maybe there's someone out there who's doing a lot of research about this, you know, because they were, um, they were really, you know, probably at the same time as the Supremes, they mm-hmm. were Motown's first superstars. Yeah. And um, I think there's a lot more to the story. I mean, just in Motown in general, there's there's like so many of the acts could have their own movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been played out in different ways. You know, Five Heartbeats is loosely based on Motown acts. Dream Girls is loosely based on the Supremes. Mm-hmm. So, and well, no, good, good. I'll ask you. A well, they have a they have that. Um, you know, there are so many stories just to come out of this one yeah. record label, but I would like to see it. If this were done again, even if it were a mini series again, I would really want it to be more in depth. Um, so while it's lacking, it's still entertaining. If you don't know anything about the Temptations, sure, watch it. Yeah, you'll, you'll learn you, something. You'll, you'll learn something. <laughs> if you didn't know anything about them, you still learn something. But for people who are fans of the music, and and have read about them or researched them, you know there's more to be had. So hopefully that will be, in some way, it will come to fruition as far as getting a a fuller story on them. Now, what I was going to say, and this is probably way off, and I might do some more research into it. Um, Have you seen That Thing You Do? Yes. The I can't think of her name, but the woman that was... um, we see her in those in the scene where like the lead singer is sitting on stage watching that woman rehearse. Was she there, Diana Ross? Like I get that because I can't think of a record company that they were that Playtone was based off of, and I feel like a lot of their they borrowed a lot from like from Motown. Granted, they had like a rock artist, they had the Wonders, but like I'm trying to think like was she kind of like their breakout solo Diana I, Ross? I think it was. I think they were um so a lot of that music was very it was doo wop and it was around the same time as well. Yeah. Um granted their their I can't remember the name of their the head of their label. He was not a Barry Gordy. <laughs> no, he was he was just shady. Yeah. <laughs> a little Cuz I mean cuz that could have yeah. been maybe that could have been like early like Atlantic. Well, not Atlantic. I'm trying to think of that Capital. Um, Capital maybe. Yeah, cuz Capital was based out of LA. That might have been Capital. Based on Capital. That'll be another another 
if we're going to discuss movies or mini series, yeah. it's going to be music based. So expect that thing you do in Jackson American Dream, yeah, and maybe Dream Girls, Five Heartbeats down the line. Um, uh, we talking about Diane Dane. Diane Dane, yeah, and she was she was a Diane too. She was that was a rip off. Diana <laughs> Ross, that was a rip off. <laughs> um, I think uh, from reading about it, it's there were. The their the songs her songs in the movie were inspired by Burt Bacharach and Hal David writings. Mm, okay. So it may have been a little Diana Ross or Dion Warwick. Dianne, yeah, I was gonna say Dion Warwick maybe, because um, Tom Hanks wrote that, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was a good movie. Yeah, that's expect that too. That that was a that's that probably is my favorite music based movie, because it gets really kind of depressing towards the end. <laughs> Like it starts out all happy go lucky and it's just like oh, it's about it's about a, a like it's about a one hit wonder yeah and it's like okay how far is this one song going to carry you so yeah. uh, that definitely is um, definitely is a potential topic yeah. for us um, what we'll get to before we end the show is my earworm of the week um, it's uh now I have to find it. I, I had it, but I didn't add it to any playlist. I have to go back for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, uh, this is a song I bet I probably heard like three or four months ago, but it's on. Um, oh, there it is. It's on one of my playlists um, for when I drive for Uber um, that I uh, have through Spotify. Um, it's an artist named George Maple, but that is a stage name because it's a woman. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> um, and it's a song called uh, Sticks and Horses. And um, let's skip that. Uh, and it also features a rapper named Goldlink. So I, it's been, it's one of the few songs that has been in that Uber playlist for more than, lit. For, for the whole time. The We, we lit! <laughs> um, and uh, so here it is. This is Sticks and Horses by George Maple featuring Goldlink. And let me turn up the volume and then we'll play it. Don't touch. Busy, play your torch, your mom and know your- 
told me golden, you so crazy. I know that you fucking need this. I'm a swerve, baby, swerve, ice cool, leave your freezing up around the world. People feeling handsome, take a minute when you're moving past the city, make them feel so independent. I can't All right, that is Sticks and Horses by George Maple featuring Golden Link. Uh, right now it's a single, but if you search her on Spotify, you'll find it. She hasn't come out with an album yet, but she's got like a few songs on there, of course. Um, so uh, this will bring us to the end of the show. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, <laughs> let's say unfortunately, uh, we could have kept going with this if I, yeah. Um, so, um, Tony, if you want anybody in the audience to find you, where could they find you if you want to be found? I'm unfindable. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm on Instagram. I am that I am. Okay. If you fair enough, that's where I am. <laughs> um. Uh. Okay. Do you want me to like we can publish that or just have it to work? Okay, you got to listen if you want to find out where if you want to find Tony at all. I think we'll you can publish it. Okay, I'll I'll edit it and we can we can publish it. That's fine. Okay. Um. Uh. Well, with our podcast, you can find us on Podomatic and iTunes. Um. If you have a, if you have a um, iTunes account. Well, yeah, if you have an iTunes account or if you have an iPhone, um, vote, well, vote, rate, rate us, rate, yes. subscribe, leave a review mm-hmm. um, through the podcast app. If you have an Android, um, all right, I don't know if we could be friends really, but anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about switching, so bruh. All right, then we have to question our friendship. Oh, um, boy. Uh, you can go through the Podomatic app. Um, I'm thinking if we should add it to any of these other podcast streaming services. Um, I'm going to do some more research on that. Um, I know there, there's a few out there, so I'll look into that and we'll let you guys know on the next episode or through our Facebook page if we'll be on any other streaming services. So, I mean, I don't want to shut out the Android users because they listen to music too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can find us on uh, on Podomatic, I think I believe the Podomatic app is in the Google Play Store. I'll um, check. I got my tablet sitting in front of me. All right. Um, so uh, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash by the time you hear this. Uh, we are we have an email address by the time you hear this at gmail.com. But the U is the letter U. Why, Ben? Because we urban. Exactly. <laughs> and. <laughs> You can also follow us on Instagram at by the time you hear this, uh, also spelled with just the letter U mm-hmm. because we are, we are urban. We, we are urban. We is urban. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, is there an update on the website or blog or it's, it's coming. It's there. There's the art of the, what I'm writing is in the works. It, it's actually going to require a fair amount of research more than I thought. I don't want to say what it is because I, I think it's a really cool topic. But it's requiring more research to put it together than I thought. So, all right. So the website is still in the works, but it's it will be there. It will this be is... there right on time. 
Yes, that's okay. it. Okay, yeah, so it is It is in the Google Play Store if you All have right. Android. Cool. Um, and um, any was there another spot that we were trying to figure out where they okay I, I don't know I think I think we've mentioned where you can find find our podcast mm-hmm. um, so uh, Tony I'd like to thank you for being on with us yeah and, thanks for having um, me it was a blast yeah and we will uh, we will post the episode um, it will be tonight but probably people won't find out until tomorrow morning which is fine I think that's how it's always been mm-hmm. <laughs> um <laughs> So we're going to end the show with the Temptations song. We didn't play a lot of, we well, yeah, we didn't play, play any, any music. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we played our, our earworms and that was it. But um, uh, we'll figure out a way to play more, at least more movie clips or, or something or have more or have it more musically involved when we talk about the films and miniseries. But we're going to end it with the song that ended the miniseries, hmm. uh, which is the... Uh, I think it's it's David Ruffin's la- lasting legacy mm-hmm. is his vocal performance on the song because it's it's the song that everybody knows instantly mm-hmm. when you hear the Temptations. So uh, we're gonna end the show with "My Girl," written by Smokey Robinson, and some. some there was another guy. I don't want to leave out the other songwriter. <laughs> um, oh man. I, I feel terrible. Was it Norman? It wasn't Norman Whitfield. It was Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> Bad joke. Bad joke. <laughs> uh, it is Ronald White, Smokey Robinson, and Ronald White, who is uh, well a co-member of the Miracles. So, uh, yeah, the the Miracles were actually that's something we could explore also because. Mm-hmm. While they were as a group, they were all very good writers in their own right. Yeah. So that's something we can also explore. But Ronald White, along with Smokey Robinson writing My Girl, that is the end of the show. And we'll talk to you guys soon.